This week on Writers Inc. I, you know what? I read a quote by uh, the Cohen brothers, one of the Cohen brothers, early on, and they had a, they have a, almost like a strategy of they write themselves into boxes, and then write themselves out. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. Zach, what's in that glass, man? Jack Daniels. Not, Jack not a sponsor Daniels. of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking whiskey at 11 a.m. I figured, why not? It, so. It's 12.07 here, so you're okay. That's yeah, right. it's past noon for you. That's the thing. You guys are always like, hey, we're recording at noon. I'm like, cool, I can drink, you know? <laughs> so whatever. Even though it's 11 for me, it's 12 for y'all, so whatever. Nice. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that we're the ones who helped you pull that trigger. You know, like it, it, yeah, you, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't this deep editing I'm in on my book at all. It was totally just you guys. <laughs> <laughs> that that brings up like an honest to god question. Like, have you guys ever tried writing while while like do you drink while you write? Like, I've never tried that. Um, I <laughs> I've been experimenting lately with doing a lot of different things while I write. I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I I'm gonna watch yeah. you and just see how it plays out before I ever try that. I'll let you know. I got. Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 trying I'm trying several different things lately while I've been writing. So, yeah, I'm going on 17 years sober, so I'm I don't have anything to contribute to this conversation. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, <laughs> uh, hey, I got a um a documentary film I want to mention uh, that uh, it might be of interest. Uh, and, and a confession at the same time. So I, I really love Lady Boss, which is the the documentary on the the Jackie Collins story. I don't know if you guys heard of this. It's on Netflix. Mm -mm. Um, and I, my confession is, I didn't realize until I started watching the documentary that Jackie Collins and Joan Collins were sisters. <laughs> so, uh, but it is it is a fascinating documentary, and especially like if you want to get a glimpse inside the life of like one of the most prolific highest selling authors of all time uh highly recommended it's 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 incredible I'll, I'll i'll check it out um i remember that because one of them was on dynasty i think i just i kind of remember part Joan. of it yeah and and a lot of that played out like in the tabloids like this this hate that they had for each other or the sibling rivalry or whatever it was but um yeah the, the press just ate it up back in the the, the 80s um yeah that, that's so it's probably i mean def, and definitely just a good material i mean it's probably cool just to you know see the curtain get pulled back on something like that it's very much like uh, the there's a, a Pearl Jam documentary uh, that came out a number of years ago called Pearl Jam 30. And what was cool about that is they had uh, a video cam footage from the early days, like at the very earliest days of, of portable video cameras. 
And apparently Jackie had a lot, she took a lot of footage too when, when video camera, commercial video uh, cameras first came out. So it's really neat to see video from a time before when everyone had a phone and could take video. And, and it's, a, it's an interesting insight there. Uh, how does that work? Is it just her hunched over a typewriter? Like four hours of just... <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it, it's her like at different events and like book signings and at home with her husband. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating. All right. I will pencil pencil that one in. <laughs> that definitely, I just yeah, I just looked it up, so um, I'll, I'll definitely check it out. It made me feel really young because uh, I, I had to think for a second about who that was. So <laughs> I've, I've been spending the, the whole day talking to people trying to sell me warranties on my cars. Um, so I got a phone call last night. There's somebody writing a script for one of my, my projects. And she said, um, hey, you might get a phone call from so-and-so um, because he's, he's reading the book right now. He wants to audition for one of the characters um, and he might have questions as he goes. And, and this is like one of those names that, you know, can can definitely open a movie like huge box office type star guy. Um, so like, you know, normally I ignore any phone that, you know, call that comes in from a number I don't recognize. Um, but because of this, like I'm picking up on absolutely everything. So unknown caller, you know, whatever it says on there, I'm just picking up and like I've talked to literally so many salespeople and I, I'm actually having some fun with it um, because <laughs> they, they won't hang up on you. Um, and like I've been like messing with them to see if I can get them to hang up on me, which is which is you know kind of fun. But yeah, so I'm, I'm doing that. So I guess that's probably how my weekend's going to play out. <laughs> I have that's that's like similar here. I have uh, our roof is all kinds of messed up and we need to get it replaced. And those roof guys come by our house and they just see dollar signs. So they just keep knocking on our door and I'm just like leave us alone. I'm not quite ready to do it yet. And I know you're just trying to get my insurance money. So, <laughs> so I feel you. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm not getting any phone calls and uh, hopefully my roof does not need repaired. So I figure we can get into, into the business and then get yeah. to our guests for this week. If you guys let's are cool that. with that. All right. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> uh, big shout out to Kobo Writing Life, Tara and the team up, up in the great white north there. Uh, lovely folks who want to help you take your self-publishing career into your own hands. So you get to set your price. You keep all your rights, unlike some other platforms that require exclusivity. Uh, there's monthly promotional opportunities. All of that stuff can be found at KoboWritingLife.com. So make sure you head on over there and uh, sign up today. We also want to give a shout out to our newest patron, Christine Degla. Christine, welcome. Christine uh, has been a longtime listener, I know, from the very beginning. So awesome to have her as a patron. And if you want to ask us a question in our monthly Q&A episodes, you can become a patron of the Writers Inc. podcast at patreon.com slash Writers Inc. podcast. And JD, that brings us to our guests, plural, for the week. Yeah, this one's going to be fun. We've got Jason and Peter Filardi. Um, so if you get a chance, just jump on Google and just drop those names in there, and you're going to see a, a slew of movies that are on everybody's favorite list behind these guys. They've, they've been working in the, in the Hollywood world for a while. Um, but they've got a new TV show coming out on, on Epics called Chapel Wait, uh, which is based on the Stephen King short story, Jerusalem's Lot. Um, they sent us a screener of this, and, and I, I watched the first episode, and I was just completely blown away. Um, you know, and I've got this home theater in my house, and like I'm sitting there watching this. I'm like, I'm not doing this justice watching this show on my MacBook. Um, so I'm, I'm waiting on the rest of the episodes for it to come out on Epic so I can actually watch it live. But like this is the, everything about it is just phenomenal. The, the music, the, the, the look and feel of the show, the acting, they've got Adrian Brody playing the lead. Um, just phenomenal. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to talking to these guys. So here they are, Jason and Peter Filardi. 
All right, I'm not sure uh, how to direct this question, but so I'll just ask it. Who's the favorite son? Uh, <laughs> uh, but, uh, the dynamic in ours is no different than anybody else's. He's nine years younger than me, so I think you can guess who, who, <laughs> who's mom's favorite. <laughs> you know, uh, the youngest always gets away with everything. Everything, because you, you've broken the parents in, right? I mean, they're, just so, you know, they're so calm by then. He took all the whippings and, uh, you know, and when it came to me, they just, you know, they just, uh, yeah, let that guy come home whenever he wants. Let him do what he wants. Well, Peter, what's what's like a crazy thing you did that, uh, that you know, your parents came down on you for, but maybe let Jason off the hook on? Oh, man, I don't know. I, my parents were pretty good in a way. I, once I got thrown in jail for the night for drinking in public and then. <laughs> The next day after they bailed me out with grandma's money that night, next day I crashed the family car. <laughs> <laughs> and my father just kind of said, you know, shake it off as long as nobody's hurt. <clears throat> he gave me a beer and we moved on. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I had it pretty good too. <laughs> different times, what... huh? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely different times. Uh, well, hey, I, I'm not here to um, pull any cl any skeletons out of your closet. We're we're here to talk about uh, Chapel Weight, and man, I I just finished watching it, and guys, I just wanted to wrap myself up in that show and stay there. I mean, this is uh, one of the most stunning gothic horror stories, sets, aesthetics. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Uh, uh, so first, I want wow, to thank, thank you, you for so for this treat. It really was a treat. Oh no. Wow, wow! Thank you for that. That's uh, that's really nice to hear. As as you know, you um, you work on these things. You put everything you have into them. We've been working on this show for a long time, and uh, and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And to hear somebody say that is just because yeah. you just don't know, right? You're nervous. You know, now you got to release this thing to the world and see what happens. And uh, you never yeah, know. Uh, you, thank you. you. You never know. But yeah, thank you. It's and it's. You know, when you say that, I, I love that I could hear that you were crediting all the different departments and, and you know, the art department and then the the great composer, uh, Mark Corvin, who who did The Witch and, uh, you know, uh, oh, God, costumes right down the line. And, of course, Adrian Brody and Emily Hampshire. I mean, Adrian, we were just joking about your look for Chapel Way. You know, you'd <laughs> definitely be like a logger or, you know. <laughs> Uh, a ruffian in town and uh and he just has that look of a haunted sea captain yes to me yes i mean it, it is it it's a, a beautifully tragic experience from the opening frame and until the closing frame and one of the things that i that really struck me as i was ex is going through this experience was that it's really easy in this type of storytelling this kind of story to cross over into uh what some people might call cheesy or uh, or unbelievable, and yet I felt like you guys were slowly pulling us in to the point where every sort of new revelation was surprising but inevitable, and it felt like it belonged. So maybe you could um, give the listeners sort of an overview of uh, you know where the story originated and how you got your hands on it, and then I like to talk a lot about what you guys did because I think you took the original source material to a whole other level. Mm, thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see how it originated was uh, my brother and I were actually in um, at Epics, um, who 
has uh, did the show, and uh, we were pitching something completely different to Epics, to Michael Wright and uh, Nancy Cotton, um, and uh, we were pitching a different horror horror uh, show. And uh, we left. We left, and we're driving home. We got a phone call uh, in the car as we were driving home, and it was Michael Wright, and he said, "Hey." Um, I just got this uh, Stephen King short story brought to me. Would you guys want to do that? And of course we were like, yes. In other words, we, don't, <laughs> hey, I mean, we don't want yours. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want yours, but we, your <laughs> stuff. This. But there's uh, yeah. So of course we jumped at that and it was Jerusalem's lot and uh, producer Donald DeLine had the property and he had uh, brought it to, to, uh, to Epic's. And then uh, we sat, we met with Donald and we hit it off and uh, we read the story. I, I had never read the story before um, and I'm a big King fan. I had never read that one, um, but we loved it because we, we really all were looking to do just what you had said earlier, Jay, was a, a real Gothic horror tale. I, I mean, I just felt like we hadn't seen that in so long. Or, um, so that, that was how it, and we just jumped on, on board and then um, the process began. It was, um, but you're right. How do you build out, you know, as, as an, an, an adapter, the challenge is how do you build out 10 hours of compelling television from, you know, a 35 page short story um, and hold true to the themes and the, uh, the world and the intent uh, of the author who, uh, uh, you know, who we all greatly admire. Um, so that was a challenge. Um, fortunately, I think for Jason and I, we're both the story set in New England, 1850s, and we grew up in Mystic, Connecticut, which is a, you know, a, a town, a New England, small New England town uh, storied with whaling tradition. And so we just sort of always liked that world and witches and Salem and New England and curses and, you know, everything that we kind of grew up with. And so once we came up, I think, with the idea of changing the protagonist to a family guy to up the stakes for him, you know, give him, put him in even more, more jeopardy and, and to make him a whaling captain who gives up his vocation to, to sort of provide for the, the kids he's in charge with. Uh, I think it sort of began to click, you know, we sort of freed ourselves to, to expand and, and to blow it out a bit. Yeah, blow it out for sure. Uh, there's a couple of specific scenes I, I want to get to, but uh, I also, yeah, I, I know like in the original, you have Calvin, the manservant, and, and that relationship isn't nearly as powerful as, as the one uh, the Boone has with Rebecca. And and I it's I picked up on this too. I don't know if you guys did this intentionally, but the fact that Jacob calls Boone Whaler and he's the only one that calls him Whaler. And I was like, I wonder if I because I knew you guys grew up a mystic. I'm like, there's uh, there's got to be some connection there. There's got to be some sort of uh, uh, you know behind the scenes moment there. Uh, what did you did you consciously develop that idea that that Jacob was not going to address him by his name, or was that just kind of worked out in the script? Yeah, when. You know, when we when we wrote that scene, it's funny. I I remember um, that just came natural because, um, you know, when we were writing his dialogue, you know, Jacob is an old soul, an old being, and he's trying to invoke an original God. It's very Lovecraftian, you know, the worm. 
Um, and as you know, in the Bible, the whale is Leviathan, another old god. And so I think that by hunting Leviathan and going out and sea and, and, and killing whales, I think that that sort of, that was a bit seen as a bit of sacrilege, I think, to Jacob. And, and for him to call him whaler, it's like, you know, later he hits him with, you know, what mercy did you ever show Leviathan? Um, and yeah, it's like it's in a way it, it was like in Jacob uh, calling him killer, you know, um, saying it was really, yeah, two killers almost sitting yeah. down across the table from each other, uh, uh in, in some way, yeah. I, and I, thanks, love, I'm lo I love that you picked that up because I was just gonna say, I love that you picked up on that. That was great. I love that moment too, and I love that he's the only but person you're right who calls him that and who calls him as that. It's very, it's, it feels derogatory. It, it feels like almost like he's saying boy. It's another way of saying boy or kind of putting him down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah no, he, he's showing, he's, Jacob's definitely showing his dominance. Yeah. There. He's, uh, he's, yes. He was a great actor. Christopher Hiredale, Hiredale. He, uh, man, oh man, he's got to be like six, five and he just towered over all of us. So Adrian Brody's a tall dude, but. Christopher's really tall. Yeah. And once we put him in the makeup and, uh, and, and he just brought so much to the role. I mean, I think he just really blew everyone away. It was great. Yeah. We, we certainly have an audience of, of writers, uh, in our podcast. And I know that I'm, I'm, I would love to hear about your process, get down in the weeds. Like you guys are co-writing. I think you live on opposite coasts. Uh, what what is the what's the process look like? How are you getting words back and forth? How are you making creative decisions? Uh, let's see. So in this, we um, you know, uh, for for most of our careers, we've always written solo. We we, we never um, collaborated. We just started collaborating a few years ago um, because you know my most of my career has been in comedy, oddly enough, and uh, although horror is my favorite space, um, go figure. But uh. So, so in the past few years, we, we just started collaborating, doing things uh, more in the, in the horror space. And, um, and when we got this project, well, we, uh, it would just be a lot. It was a lot of Skypes. <laughs> it was a, this was before Zoom even. This was a, this was a lot of Skype calls. And uh, we, would, we would basically just get on every morning. You know, there's a three-hour difference, so it's always difficult. Um, but we would get on, and we would just literally start banging out ideas together just talking back like we are ideas 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 and then we would rough out that outline together we do the out outline and uh, obviously on skype and then and then we get off and say um if i still had some more hours in the day because i'm in los angeles he's on the east coast i would work on you know say the outline and then when i was done i'd send it to him so he'd have it in the morning <clears throat> then he'd work on it in the morning then we get on skype again when i was up and ready to go and we start the process over. And that's really how it continued. Um, when we get to draft, then we had that outline and we would split, split that outline up. You know, I'll do scenes one through 15, you'll do 16 through 30. We'd write, send back and forth, work on each other's work um, um, and just go back, 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 back and forth until we had something that we, uh, we could share with anybody. Yeah, we, um, I bought, we had never, we hadn't really done a lot of television. I had done a mini series, but it's nothing like a series. And, and 
my brother hadn't either, we hadn't ever tried to tell a story 10 hours long. And so, you know, as you can imagine, it's, it's really daunting and, and a bit intimidating, uh, certainly the first time. So I, I went out and bought all these whiteboards, some of which you see behind me. And, you know, we would brainstorm and try to piece it all together as to what's going in what episode. And then from that step, do the outline, as my brother said, and, and take it from there. And um, I think the key for any partnership, because we are both sort of new to writing with partners, is uh, but is not to be too precious with your any one idea or any of your ideas. You know, I mean, I, I you know, you know, too, as a writer, you, you're in this game long enough, you know, there's never one right idea, you know, and, and you, if it doesn't pass muster, let it go and move on and find another one and, and don't get hung up. Don't waste time. Just get going, you know? Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about how you guys are describing this. Did you have an end point in mind? Did you have sort of like, okay, we have 10 episode slots. What are going to go in these? Or did you start at like episode one, scene one, and then see where it went from there? Interesting. Um, if I recall, I think we started, didn't we start when we started? Um, well, first and foremost, you know, when you do TV, it's all, it's all about the pilot, right? So, so, and that's, you're really just focused on the pilot because the pilot is, is do or die. So, it, you know, you get hired, you write this thing and um, they're going to read this. And if they don't like it, then, then you're done, right? No series. If they like it, then the series uh, starts and you start all that business of really trying to flush out two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. Um, so uh, yeah, we don't, and, and you know, in the pilot, you want to, you want to, because, because that's your selling tool. I mean, that that's, so you want to like throw everything in the kitchen sink in that thing to make it so great <laughs> that, that, that they can't deny making this, this uh, series. Um, and then of course, when, when you, just, when they say, okay, we're going to make this, you go, okay, now I got to actually be real and whittle that pilot down and start figuring out how to, you know, the, the, the pilot and what you go to make are two different things, right? What you sell and what you make are two different things. Um, but we had um, initially, we had Jay, we had, um, we had planned that this being like a six episode series and maybe eight at the most. And then they came to us, Epics, and like, no, no, we do 10. And we're like, oh boy, wow. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a big, pretty big mountain to climb uh, first time guys. But it was cool. I mean, it really made us dig in and get creative. The, um, yeah. Yeah. Did, did we start? I think, did they have us start with something called the format? Did they have us do that before they had us write the pilot? Do you remember? I don't even remember. But No, no I think we did the pilot first. We did? Yeah. Okay. Okay, because after that, the next step is they say, okay, great, give us a format. And it's sort of just like a treatment of where the series uh, goes and, and some of the sort of, you know, the big points along the way. So I think when we went and did this format, which is probably 10 to 15 pages, and uh, a great tr little trick I did uh, with Jason was go and we just found uh, pictures you know, vintage pictures from the period. And, and so in the format, there were, there were these just cool pictures of, you know, vintage Halloween, kids in vintage Halloween costumes and things like that, that were real creepy, uh, but that were really um, 
you Just know, the grainy. yeah, grainy and, and, and moody. And so it's a little bit of a mood. Bo- it's a selling tool. Everything's a selling tool at that stage. Like my brother said, the pilot, you know, might have 70 scenes and 68 pages in fucking possible to shoot, you know, <laughs> especially with our budget, you know? So, but, you know, everyone gets excited. It gets, it goes to the actor and the actor reads it. And he's like, this is great. And the actress reads it. And she said, this is great. And then you say, okay, well, I'm glad you liked it. Cause that's not what we're shooting. <laughs> yeah, they ain't got to shoot. And they're like, Hey, what happened to that pilot? I read. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I, yeah, exactly. It'll bait and switch. You yeah. know that. One. Yeah. It's, it's part of the game, I guess. But you guys certainly delivered it. And as a, when I'm watching it in, from the context of a storyteller, one of the things I thought was masterful, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about this, is every time I thought the stakes were as high as they could be, the suspense was as, was up to 10, you guys managed to find like another level. And I'll give you an example without being too much of a spoiler. There's the siege of, of Chapelweight, which had me looking with one eye. Like I was hiding behind the couch, kind of like trying not to watch while I was watching. And I was thinking like, there's no way they're amping up past this. And then, then you have the assault on, on Jerusalem's lot, which does. And I'm just like, you know, how do you get to that point? I I think that's something all writers aspire to, like to, to take the reader or the viewer as far as they think they can go. And then some. I, I, you know what? I read a quote by, uh, the Coen brothers, one of the Coen brothers early on, and they had a, they have a, almost like a strategy of they write themselves into boxes and then write themselves out, which I always thought was like, no wonder their stuff is so clever and brilliant. And, and so I think what you can do is sort of like, take it, take it to that point and then just say, Ooh, okay, we got there. Take a half a breath. And, you know, I don't know. How can we, how do we go further? How do we? Yeah. It's, it's, um, Always just write, always, I, I, I think whenever um, I'm writing a script or whatever, it's just always trying to take your protagonist or your, and, and put them in the, in the worst possible situations you can think of. Uh, and then, like you said, try to one up that every time, especially in 10 hours. I mean, we're not talking about an hour and a half movie, right? We're 10 hours. So you really have to, that, to do that, I think, to keep people interested in, in, in these things. Um, I thank you very much for saying that we accomplished that because um, we knew that that was something that had to be done and, and we worked pretty hard on that. I think uh, for, for us, we were lucky because the face of the antagonist changes. You know, it's almost like man against himself, man against town, man against uh, vampires. <laughs> and then, then it, evolves into cosmic horror like lovecraftian cosmic so it just does keep evolve the face of the antagonist does change significantly over the course of the show um and that was something that we also want to do was um, i'm sure you noticed in the beginning it's keeping hopefully keeping the viewer guessing about what it, what really is going on here. Are we watching a guy who is just basically coming unraveling mentally or um, are we watching a haunted house show or, um, or is there something larger? And, and we tried to keep, and we hope parsing out 
those things step by step as they grew. You realize, oh God, okay, there is something more going on here, but what is it? Oh, he is crazy, but what else is going on? So um, yeah, that was a big goal was to not just jump in and say to you, hey, this is a vampire show. Um, there, there's a little bit more going on here. We hope, and then in, in, in gothic, in true gothic kind of um, horror, it's 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 a little slower. It's a little, um, but I like that. I mean, we're both huge fans of westerns, and I think a good western takes a, a little minute to to evolve and 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 learn about the characters and get get to know them and, and get to feel for them, and then let all hell break loose. Yeah, and in all fairness, I think you're absolutely played to the conventions. You're right. You, especially in gothic horror, especially the time frame that you chose, it, there's an there's an unfolding that has to happen. And I, and I I think if you come in too fast, um, it ruins the aesthetic. So I, I for one, um, trusted the storytelling. I'm like, I have a I have an idea where this is going, and it it might take a little time to get there, but it's going to be worth it. And I think that's that's really hard to do. It's really hard to be a patient storyteller given the seven second attention span world that we're in. No, you're absolutely right. And uh, you're right. And that's our fear too, is, you know, will, will people stick with us? You know, will they, will they allow, will they permit themselves to sort of, you know, take a breath and sink into this world? Um, You know, I know people who, I mean, I love that, uh, the the film, the witch, you know, but it's slower. You know what I mean? It's got a pace. It's got a vibe, and you got and but it 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 takes you there. You just you know. And I know plenty of people who lost patience with it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, how, how did you, how did that happen? I mean, he he creates just such a well. It's that New England vibe, such a world with the visually and the sound and uh, and of course the storytelling. But it's just yeah, you don't want to leave it. I mean, for me, it just. I like a slow, I like a little bit of a slower burn. I, like to, I hope ours isn't too slow. I hope I, I, I do. We fear we might suffer from, like you said, the seven second <laughs> rule, but um, I hope not. I think the right people are going to find it. And I think the people who you made it for will find it for sure. Uh, it, speaking of the right people, uh, I know that there wasn't any communication between you guys and Stephen King prior to you starting production. Have you heard anything from him or his camp uh, since that time? Uh, since, uh, after I'm sorry. Afterwards, yeah. Um, let's see. We we know um, we've never verbally spoke everything, but he was always involved in the process. He had to okay the pilot. He had first of all okay the writers. Okay the pilot. Um, okay the treatment. My brother was talking about. I mean, he really every step of the way he was involved. He read scripts. Oh, okay. I didn't realize he was that involved. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he would always give his okay, and then. Um, and then uh, I, we know, I haven't heard, but we know he's watched a bunch of the episodes and was happy. So oh, good. that made us extremely happy. Excellent. Excellent. Now, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll get a tweet coming from that account uh, sometime yes, around yes. August 22nd, right? I know. Dude. I'm, <laughs> I'm dying for that tweet already. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see it. Print it and put it on the wall. Uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to make sure we'll have that in the show notes too. It's debuting on Epic's channel on August 22nd. So if you're listening prior to the release date, make sure you, you put that on your calendar. Uh, so I guess, you know, I won't, we won't go too deep into spoilers, but I really thought the ending w- was perfect. There, there's an element of, of sacrifice that I think um, every parent will understand. I think anyone who's had a deep, intimate relationship with another human will understand the sacrifice that is made there. And it's, uh, it's really compelling. And 
it obviously led me to believe like, all right, guys, what, what's next? You got something up your sleeve or uh, is that sort of where the story is going to end? Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. We, um, we had always known uh, quite early on that that's how we wanted to end the show. Uh, we just loved that. It, it, you could, we just, we, we could envision it. We envisioned it from that, just that, you know, that hard for me to say, I guess, but <laughs> you've seen um, just that whole image of him and the kids. And like you said, the, the decision that has to be made, it's kind of like a, this martyr type thing for not to save the family. And, um, and dare I say the world, we don't want to go that big, but because this is more of a family drama, you know, we really liked it being about him and his, like you said, father, kids, family um and this was this was always done as a as a 10 episode uh and then done but of course um yeah <laughs> <laughs> but of course the door's always cracked open isn't it <laughs> but we're, we're psyched that you like the ending because we love the ending we yes. hope we really hope people hang in there because we and I could be wrong, but we think that it pays off. It, it's a nice payoff at the end. And it's um, um, for a gothic horror tale. It's um, we think it just uh, hits the right tone and it was the right thing to do. Yes, it was. Uh, it's not a mirror reflection, but it's reflective and it's it's circular in a way. Um, but, exactly. but it's not the same. I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time articulating it, but I, I know, think I it know. felt right to me when I saw it. Like I, there, there are some films and TV shows that I absolutely love and the ending that you don't stick the ending and you're like, ah, it didn't quite pay, but this, this really paid off. And, uh, and part of me was almost hoping you were going to say, nope, that's absolutely it. The story is told, but I could understand if, uh, <laughs> epics comes calling, you know, the, the, there could be some, some other things in the future. So, uh, but, but we are, we're okay with walk dropping the mic. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> You know, I, I mean, I've suffered from that my whole career. You know, I've always, you know, all these movies I do, uh, uh, some of them have come back and said, how about a sequel? And I'm like, for the life of me, I can't come up with one. You know, I, I kind of feel as though I killed everybody who I, I should have let live. I did this, I did that. Like, You can make another Flatliners, right? I don't know. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. They keep remaking your movies. Yeah. Right. They remake them, but I, yeah, I don't know how you do sequels to these things. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, guys, um, it's been a, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, really, really enjoyed um, the show. I, I hope it has great success and maybe as a way out, each of you could tell us a little bit about what you're working on now, whether that's something together or on your own. Uh, let's see me. I'm, um, you know, after, uh, after, uh, a couple, um, years of, uh, chapel weight and, uh, and, and, and being, uh, bogged down in the, in the darkness. So I'm, uh, I, I said to my brother, man, I need to jump back into comedy for a minute. So, uh, <laughs> so I just, uh, I, I owed a, a comedy, um, that, that I've been sitting on for a little while because chapel weight was so much I couldn't do. So I just finished that and, um, we're, trying to doing some cast work right now on it. Um, it's called the lifeguard. Um, and, uh, we're just kind of, um, chapel wait, you know, season two. We don't know. We're chapel waiting. Chapel waiting. <laughs> Do what they say. 
<laughs> Powers to be. I, I just, you know, after the after we wrapped, I was inspired by our directors and the DPs and everybody around us. You know, you, you get to work with five different directors. Each director does two episodes and you get to see all these different styles and techniques. And, and I just found it very inspiring. I went back and when I came home, uh, I met, there's an actor I met at the dog park and I made a horror short. <laughs> I recruited a bunch of people and directed a short film and yeah, and it was just great. It was just what I needed. So uh, that's me. Go to the dog park and make little movies. Let's start with Zach. Zach, what'd you think of the Florida brothers? Uh, this chapel weight idea. Oh, it was aw- It was, it was awesome. Like, just hearing how um, they were able to take a short story and turn it into like, what was it? It's 10 episodes, right? The, yeah, the 10 first hour season. Project. That's incredible. Like that's, I mean, I mean, especially when you're dealing with, you know, you're the author you're dealing with who wrote the story, you know, cause you have a, um, you, you want to, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, adapting a Stephen King story, I mean, really with anybody, obviously, like you want to stay as true to the source material as you can, but I would assume there's probably a little added pressure with that. And, you know, to have to like riff and add on to that, um, is, I don't know, that really fascinated me. Yeah. They, they threw a couple things out there that, that kind of hit home with me, um, you know, one of them was just write yourself into a box and then try to write yourself out of it. Um, and this is something that I see a lot of successful authors do and a lot of you know newer authors miss out on. You know, you, you basically your character comes to a particular situation in the story and, and most authors will go with the obvious answer. You know, so they're, they're walking up to, to a door, you know, they're going to go through that door and they're going to, you know, whatever, whatever seems most logical is where most authors tend to go. Um, what they're talking about is, you know, you get to that door and something else happens. It's locked or it can't go out or you open it and, and you know, there's there's no room behind it. You know, some, something strange. Um, but write yourself into a, an impossible situation. And, and you know, I, I do to myself all the time and like you will find yourself pulling your hair out so people that see you know i go on this five mile walk every day where i try to figure out what i'm going to write the next day um and usually it's because i painted myself into some kind of corner right before i left for that walk you know so i'm walking along the street i'm mumbling to myself trying to figure out how to, to get out of this particular issue um but, you know, that's where the best stories come from, you know, and, and Stephen King has talked about this before with The Stand. You know, he put that book aside for a while because he just wasn't sure where to go. And then he, he literally blew up, you know, the, the bulk of his main characters. He threw a bomb into the middle of it and completely mixed it up. And it's, you know, it's out of left field. It's not something you would think about. And that's why it works for readers. And that's why the story is intriguing. And, you know, that kind of kind of thing is awesome. And I think, you know, more, more authors need to do that. You know, if, if you see your character walking into an obvious situation, you know, steer him in a, in, into left field, do something totally different yeah and i I think too uh you know kind of building on what you both said there is uh they they really honored uh i mean jerusalem's lot is it's it's a it's a very stoker-esque short story it's it it, but it also melds like it's got a lovecraftian feel at the same time it's very it's very gothic in the best sense so the challenge that these guys had to me like it's amazing what they did with it because as Zach said, they, they sort of have to honor the source material at the same time. They're taking 35 pages of, 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 uh, an epistolary short story and expanding that into a 10 hour series. Uh, so 
it, it isn't just a play-by-play. -play. And, and, and I think the, the combination of the brilliant source material with the vision that these guys brought to it and, and the visual and aural aesthetics, uh, I, I know I sound like I'm gushing because I am. Like it is, it's just a phenomenal series. Well, just to, to build on that, they had, they had mentioned how it's all about the pilot too, and and that's a you know something that I didn't realize until I started getting into this kind of thing with some of my own projects. But you know, ev everything focuses around that pilot. That's really all everybody looks at. You know, the studios they want ten episodes, but they want to know what's going to be in that first one. So everybody focuses on that script. Um, if you're lucky, they throw you some money and they let you film that first episode. You know, which gets you just a little bit further down the the road. Um, but in order to do all that, you still need to you know as the, the writer behind it, you you. Need to know where that story is going like you you know your whole vision can't be focused around that first episode you still need to know what happens in episode 10 um and that that's a tricky thing i mean so you, yeah so they had to plot all this out i mean he had mentioned the whiteboards and everything behind him i mean to me that's the the coolest part of this process you know how do you take a, a 35 page short story and turn it into something you know like this you know you just you literally just start hitting all the beats, you know, start throwing them up on those whiteboards um, and, and fill in the, the blanks. Uh, I think it's actually, the, this is called the snowflake method, um, I believe. If you, you know, you, you basically take the, the big story points, throw them up on a board like that, and then you just start filling in the white space in between, and you just kind of drill down further and further every time you pass over it um, until you end up with a, a full storyline. Um, that's essentially what they were doing. Yeah, and I know that you guys have both co-written things, uh, and... I loved, I don't remember which Flaherty mentioned it, but I, I love the idea that, you know, when you collaborate, you can't be precious about the ideas. Like, you have to serve the story. You, you, have, to, you have to be ready and willing to, to give up some ideas that you have because better ones come along. And I know all three of us have had that experience. And it was, it was another validation um, in a different medium of how important it is when you collaborate to, to, to not be precious about those ideas. Well, it takes you to a whole other level. You know, if you're in that room all by yourself and you're writing that story, you know, you come up with a particular story beat, you throw it in the story and you move on. Um, but when you're working with somebody else, you know, you're raising your hand, you're saying, okay, I think this is what comes next. And that other person is weighing in on that. Um, and there's a back and forth. And a lot of times you end up with something that's a lot better. I mean, it's honestly one of the reasons why I love to collaborate and particularly with people that I've never worked with before, just to get that, that fresh, you know, material, you take myself in a direction I wouldn't normally go by myself. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's funny, like, you know, Jay brought up, you have to, you can't be precious with your ideas. And I mean, there were times where we not almost gotten fights, but like, I know me, I got, I was more precious than you sometimes and we'd work on stuff together. But in the end, it always was for the better of the story. And, you know, I mean that I definitely miss that collaboration a lot, you know, just because it was, you come up with things that you're just not going to come up with on your own. You know, even when we're in the room for the, for our events, you know, and we have 15 authors in the room and people are pitching their stories, like those stories, like when people start passing around ideas for other people's individual stories, I mean, it's like, it's really awesome to watch that happen. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting to hear about their collaboration process and, you know, them doing it mostly on zoom was, was, yeah, it was interesting. I think, too, uh, we didn't talk about this in the interview because it just wasn't time. But I was also so impressed with these guys because they not they were not just the writers. They were the showrunners. Yeah. I mean, you think about the level of responsibility that, that they had to accept to get this project off the ground when COVID hit. I mean, there are just so many, so many elements to this sort of behind the scenes that I hope people who are listening to this podcast will go and watch this 
knowing knowing sort of more of the stuff that happened behind closed doors because for me it's even more impressive when you know that stuff yeah i mean honestly everything about making a tv show or a movie it's like pushing a boulder up a, a giant mountain um and just the fact that they got it up to the top and they were able to, to sit down and watch the finished product is, is just a huge huge accomplishment um and and you know with this being did they say this was their first tv series together i, I think together, uh, okay. i think uh jason jason might have done some tv previously yeah, I, I think you mentioned i know the bulk of their work is is in film um but yeah that, that that's a whole whole other thing too and and these guys you know did just such a phenomenal job with it completely impressed yeah i i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation they were really genuine and and uh and honest and uh with a great sense of humor and and i think for any writer in any medium there there was just so much uh great information there great approaches things you can incorporate into your own writing so uh either you guys have any other takeaways you want to mention before we kind of close it out for the week no i'm honestly just jonesing to watch the rest of this thing <laughs> all right well then before we before we uh ta uh ta take it out here i want <laughs> i wanted to mention my my beard story that i teased at the beginning uh, before we started recording, at, when I was on with the guys and we were kind of getting situated, uh, they were like, dude, I love your look, man. The hair and the beard, like you would have fit in right on set. And I'm like, oh, man, I would have loved it. Uh, and, and then in a, a subsequent follow-up uh, correspondence, the guy said, if there's a Chapel Wait season two, they're going to they're gonna find a, a spot for me in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I might have a, a budding uh, film career here if uh, Chismar gets me into his, uh, into his short uh, mockumentary and uh, the Florida Brothers work me in the Chapel Eight season two. So let's, let's all pull for, uh, for Epic's renewing it. Jay Thorne is corpse number four. <laughs> I don't even have to be I don't even have to be a creature like I'll settle for logger number three like that'd be fine too <laughs> logger number three <laughs> all right I think it's time oh, to call it quits awesome. all right so who, what's on the agenda for next week there JD uh Q&A right yeah yeah that's right Q&A is our is our last episode of the month so uh we'll follow up with that and um yeah looking forward to it so once again thanks to the Flaherty brothers and i love the link in the show notes go watch chapel wait it is out now so to our listeners make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end we'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.